Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about, you know, a scorcher, hot lava, and such. And today, we will be she-bopping our way back to 1983 to talk about Cindy Lauper's breakout debut album, She's So Unusual. Then you When Cindy Lauper took the pop world by storm in 83, some might have assumed that she was a young ingenue, but Lauper was already 30 years old. She'd spent her 20s playing New York cover bands, momentarily damaging her vocal cords in the process. Her first band, Blue Angel, got signed to a record deal, and then their album flopped. Before she got back in the studio to tape She's So Unusual, she was working as a server at IHOP. And then She's So Unusual dropped in the fall of 83, and everything changed. A new wave slash pop monster, the LP generated four top five hits and has sold 16 million copies worldwide, while Lopper became one of the early faces of MTV thanks to the now iconic video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And in the process, it launched a now 30-plus year career where Lopper's released 11 studio albums in multiple genres, became an Emmy-nominated actress, and most recently took on that most American of pop victory laps, she put out a Christmas album. <laughs> For over three decades, Lopper has delighted and surprised us time after time. Mm. If you fall, I will catch She's So Unusual was the album pick of our guest today, Chenny Nicholas. What's your sign, girl? <laughs> Is it compatible to mine, oh girl? Wondered Danny Pearson on a song written by Barry White. I've asked that question myself a time or two. In the days where horoscopes were only found in the back of the newspaper, when you'd proudly rep your sign on a bedazzled shirt, and before I understood astrology to be less about compatibility and more about accountability, and that my conversations are often informed by my constellation. That these days many of us see astrology as therapy and self-care is due in large part to our guest, whose gift has taken her to Netflix and to O Magazine, to NPR, and to BuzzFeed, to Harper's Bazaar, to The Atlantic, and more. I consider her to be an astro-activist, blessing us with readings enhanced by radical compassion and an inclusive lens. And we need that. I didn't know how much I needed it until my homeboy Yolo introduced me to her work. Now she's got me out here proselytizing to folks who want to know more about their month than their lucky days. If you want to hear messages from the stars, check out an album released by the Raw Band called Going Up. But if you want to understand messages from the stars, go to ChannyNicholas.com and prosper like I did. Channy Nicholas, welcome to Heat Rocks. Wow, thank you so much. That is the most incredible introduction I've ever had. Glad <laughs> to have you. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. Now, you picked an album that came out October 14, 1983. Yes. What was your introduction to Cindy Lauper and this album? You know, I was trying to think about the first time that I heard it. I don't recall the first time. I just remember it being such an integral part of my childhood. I was eight years old when it came out. And so I am an MTV baby. Yeah. And her messages and her 
the ways in which she was in the world, I think were so radically different than a lot of the other female role models that we had sure. at that point. And so that time, and eight years old is like a time where you're, you're not really preteen, you're not teen, but you're like at that yeah. edge of something. Like you, like you know like a good part of your childhood is going and the, a lot of the innocence of <laughs> if you had it. Wow, um, you had a rough at eight. Damn. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but a lot of her, like the sentimentality of her music, I don't know, it cut into my being and was just, it just was one of those artists that permeated that time in my life. Sure. So her her way of being herself in the world was mm. was was different, I thought, than everybody else. How about you, Morgan? It was uh, girls just want to have fun. <laughs> uh, I can't lie, I'm an MTV kid too, yeah. and MTV was crucial mm. to me growing up. Mm. I lived for mm. those videos, and so I just remember watching that video and being like, "Well, damn!" I mean, not only did she come across to me as sort of quirky and cool with the shaved hair and the mm. rainbow, the rainbow hair, mm. and then her whole family, or what she projected as her family, her moms, her actual moms, her actual moms, right. Captain yeah. Lou Albano. I was yeah. like, "Yo, <laughs> wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And it just felt fun. At that time, I thought a lot of the um, the pop stars had their own sort of shtick and dressed mm. in their costumes. But it, it never was gimmicky to me with Cindy Lauper. I thought that was just her. Yeah. And I received Girls Just Want to Have Fun as an anthem. I didn't know Oliver until your introduction. I, I didn't know that she was 30 then. Right. I didn't know either until I was writing the introduction. I'm like, wait, she was 30 when this wow. album came out? Just something about the youthful energy. I mean, I always think about the album cover, right, which is shot by Annie Leibovitz. Sure. And just the body language and her hair and the outfit. I mean, the things that, that Chani, you were talking about. She projects, again, this youthful, creative burst of energy, mm -hmm. but not necessarily in, in an immature way, even though... That was part of the persona I think she mm -hmm. would play, and certainly in, in the video, she's kind of playing with that. Sure. But also as someone who was who had seen some shit like in her life up right. until that point, and I think mm -hmm. that also comes through in this album. I thought she was like nineteen, <laughs> right? I really did. I I've, I found that out too when I was like researching some yeah. of this, and I was like, oh my goodness, because she also looks really young yeah. in the video. Yeah. yeah, and she has such an awkwardness to her. Yeah, like her dancing is very. It's it's has that like you say that creative burst. It's very um a uh, little in, frenetic. It's frenetic. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah. It's strange. She was like her own creature. And very queer also in her sentiment, I sure. think, like, because she was, she was just, she wasn't trying to be something for men, it didn't seem. Whereas a lot of, you know, women feel, I'm sure, like, pigeonholed into that category. But her sexuality and her way of talking about her sexuality and masturbation and, you know, right. like, her whole exploration of that was, did have that innocent kind of childlike thing, almost like a Betty Boop thing that she did. Right. But, but it was, but in a knowing way, like it's right. a wink. Yeah. yeah, like she was using it. Yeah. She wasn't going to be used by the thing. Sure. She was like, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to do this thing. And it's, you might not like it or accept it. And it was, she's also obviously really quite punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's from Queens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's interesting that we're talking about sort of that, that sort of like, you know, poppy, childlike, you know, animated uh, persona that she had because Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj have all cited her 
as an influence. Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't their, know Nicki Minaj. Uh, Nicki Minaj. Wow. Uh-huh, that said, you know, I watched her as a little girl and on some of these videos, and that that contributed to their persona. And that, to me, makes sense mm-hmm. just in, you know, how they present you know, oftentimes. So my question is, in what ways did she influence you just watching her as an eight-year-old? Because I can imagine seeing that as an eight-year-old. I was already grown. I'm not going to say how grown. Okay, we're going to keep some secrets in here, Channy Nicholas, okay? I'm not going to get into those specifics, but... You were a couple grades older. A little bit, a little bit, yeah, if I'm honest. But uh, how did she influence you, if, if at all? I think it was just that, it was that time. I mean, I don't mean to conflate her and Madonna, but because they were coming up at the same time, there was that explosion of like, um, what do you call them? The skirts. Like the. Oh, oh yeah. There, yeah. There was like this crossover back into like 60s, kind of like like deconstructing femininity from then, from like big skirts and yeah. bangles and like how everyone was wearing the clothes and like furs and just doing it in a different way. And so it, she just and I remember I was watching we were watching some of the videos and the video for um, I think it's Money Changes Everything it's like mm. the live recording mm. and she's wearing two different color Converse she's wearing a black one and a white one yeah and that just like blew my mind <laughs> and so I feel like because of the MTV thing because it was so new at that time like music videos and so what was coming at us and especially me as like a kid it was like the style and what the messages of the music was saying and just her ownership of her body and her ownership of her style and her ownership of her whole package was inspiring in a way that, again, I think was just part of the backdrop of my life at that point. It was like, you know, be yourself and present yourself in the ways that feel most authentic to you and like do it differently. How can you like cut something up and reconstruct it and put it on and change things up? And what does that mean for you? This brings to mind comparing Cindy to other artists in that same era. And of course, these comparisons are really never quite fair because we're yeah. simplifying a lot of things in hindsight. But you think about the big pop artists, female pop artists in particular of the mid-80s. You have Cindy, obviously. You have Madonna, as we talked about. You have you can put Janet Jackson in there. Yeah. But compared to Janet or Madonna, those other two were very polished. And yeah. there was nothing about them that felt particularly, I mean, you know, someone like Madonna almost felt like she came into the the pop world completely fully formed and mm-hmm. just took things from there. Janet, of course, had, had already had a long history with just the Jackson family and then as an actress. So there was kind of a professionalism and a polish that she exhibited. Cindy was just kind of that, as we've been talking about, this rawness. And I think a lot of it is drawn from the fact that her coming into this musically was through the world of post-punk music and new wave. And that right. is everything about that is about kind of this crazy, chaotic energy and just throwing things at the wall. And I do wonder if the fact that her first album with, with Blue Angel, the, the group that mm-hmm. she was in before she went solo, because it had flopped, maybe she felt like with a second chance, like, screw it. Like, let's see what happens. That's right. And there's a lot, to me, you can read that kind of creativity and chance taking into an album that is as eclectic as She's So Unusual. I mean, even the title itself kind of speaks to that. Right, right, right. right. Like, I don't imagine Madonna coming in with her debut and calling herself... She's so unusual. No. Yeah. Right. And no. like Madonna had material. I th- I don't know the years, but like Material Girl versus Money Changes Everything. Sure. Like the Money Changes Everything is like an anthem of like heartbreak of how certain success and like what separates people and like just w- the realities of that.
there's such a tearing apart at the heart of that song and then Material Girls. <laughs> like this, like, right, right. Anthem of like, well, this is a man's world. I'm going to try to play in it sure. and, right. and beat them at their own game. Sure. And also, um, as, as Oliver said earlier, at 30 years old, she'd been through some things. Right. So by 30, she knew a little bit more about the world than I think even... She was sued, yeah. right? Yeah. She was sued she was for sued. $80,000. Yeah. bankrupted her. Yeah. By, by the band, that. right? Yeah. Because she tried to pull out... manager the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she left home at 17... With nothing but I thread like an apple and her clothes on her back kind of thing. It's also interesting that she she ended up being a major pop star because she saw herself as a rocker. Mm. And every time she was at like an award ceremony, she would think, you know, shout out all the rock singers that mm. came before her. Mm. But that she got put into this, you know, quirky pop mm. category, mm. I think owes a lot to how she presented herself and also in, in interviews. I was watching a clip of her on The Tonight Show <laughs> in 1984 and just watching Johnny Carson and whoever Homeboy was on the, um, wasn't Ed, but it was some other dude. Mm. Um, <laughs> and and when her performance came up, they just were like, I could see he was like really stuck, like, yo, what is this? And of course, she performed um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, her shoes, you know, she kicked her shoes off. And so when she came to sit on the couch, she had her shoes in her in her hand. And, and you know, he, Johnny Carson's polished, but he's also trying to, you know, you just read his expression like, what, who, what is this? Right? They didn't tell me. You know, your, your album is called She's Unusual. So unusual, right? Yeah. Now, people call you unusual, but you don't see yourself as unusual, do you? No, not really. (laughs) Don't you think you're somewhat different than, say, uh, the average uh, gal your age? No. You don't? No, but, uh, see, I think that, I think you dress unusual. Really? He's just looking like, like clap back, Cindy Lauper, okay? In like a really cutesy, charming way. It, exactly. With a, with a Queen's accent. Yeah, yeah. And it was just really cute. She was like, You're polished, because she called it peg or something, polished with, you know, so, something else. And he was like, Oh, okay. She did all that. And then she went right back on stage and sang time, right. time after time. So, so yeah, I think she, uh, I think there was a little little bit of innocence there, but I also think at 30 years old, she, she knew who she was. Mm hmm. Along those lines, I don't think this is uh, by any means either the best song or necessarily the most memorable song, but mm-hmm. the song off this album, I think, really tells you a lot about who she is and what she was thinking. And you alluded to this earlier was with Shebop, mm-hmm. is that she managed to get a song about female masturbation where if you look at the lyrics on the page, it's like, how did no one really pick up on this? I mean, I think some PMRC type organizations did. You know, they put it on the same list with probably Darling Nikki or whatever, you know, from that same era. But like she turned she turned a song about female masturbation into a hit she radio temp, uh, right. radio song. When this song came out, I was way too young and sexually naive to have read the double meanings here. I was wondering for the two of you, did you when did you realize that oh, Shebop is not just about <laughs> dancing or it's not about dancing at all? Last night. 
<laughs> okay. Last night when I was researching, I was like, yo, what's indie? I was like, I was partying to this. I was like, it, I just went with the bop thing. You right. know, Mbop Hanson, she yeah. bop, you know. So then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. And I was just like, yo, and I danced to this so hard. <laughs> See, this is one of those songs that you could have gotten in the house because your mom wouldn't have known She wouldn't have known. Right, right, she right, wouldn't right. have known. Right. She would have been bopping with me. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just not as uh, explicit as uh, as uh, tweets. Oops, oh my! And as uh, as, yeah, yeah, as, as darling Nikki, or as, even what was that band that did? I touch myself. Right, it, yeah, right. I forgot. I oh, think that was the eighties too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't know either. I don't think it, like, in, well, you were eight. Like, yeah, yeah, fifteen yeah. years ago, I think right. I found out, or like, some I read some article. But yeah. then when you, when I went back and watched the video, yeah, and she's like in a car by herself, and the windows are steamy, and her feet are up on the windshield. <laughs> so like, she's like getting down in a fucking drive-in restaurant, <laughs> and like, there's all these robots, and everyone's doing the same thing, and they're all like in a convention. Like, everything's about convention, and then there's her, and she's being chased by the authorities because she's so unusual and so unconventional and so it's about like the policing of our bodies the policing of our pleasure the policing of our relationship with ourself and her whole shtick really i think in life is like to be the her quirk like kind of lifts her out of the system or something like it kind of puts her apart like she's in it but then she's like hey this isn't fair and she's like (laughs) funny and you know like everyone's like exasperated with her but she somehow has a way of like popping out of the scene sure. and like running away and like her red hair flailing in the wind. Sure. Yeah. After she's just taken herself to higher heights out right. there. Right. And if you can imagine if, if that song had been a Madonna song, how different it would be. Right. Same year. Yeah. That it, that like she, a virgin. Exactly. Yeah. Or later on, Justify My Love. So yeah. I was going to talk about, because one, one of the conversations uh, Chani and I had uh, a couple of weeks back was we were talking about Prince. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, you know, we have to get into When You Were Mine on yes. this album. And I don't even remember her singing it. I only really? remember him singing it. But then when I went back and listened to it, I was like, oh, my God, of course, I know this song, too. And it's like they're singing to each other. Right. When you were mine. Um, at the time, I was salty. Uh, <laughs> I, this is one of my favorite Prince songs, and I was like, come on, Cindy. Mm. However, I love that this became sort of a big hit for her. Mm. I mean, it was obscure unless you really liked Dirty Mind and you were mm. really into early, er, early Prince. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mm. mad at that in the same way I'm not mad at, at Shaka Khan doing I Feel For You or, for mm. that matter, mm. Sinead O'Connor. Mm. But I think what made me... Uh, fall more in love with her performance of this was I saw her do it at the at the awards mm. and uh, you guys were both talking about her sort of frenetic dancing and I was like okay you know she's doing a, 
an interpretive dance thing to this. Um, and I liked in some places um, she was saying, my girl. Yeah. And uh, I like that she played with sexuality there. I was like, OK, all right, Cindy, I'm, I'm here for that. So yeah. I suspended my right. Prince, you know, right. devotion. Right. Uh, but what do you think about you know that song well i don't i mean i know that they i read also that they were friends or that he was very kind and gracious to her so i don't know how he felt about i don't know how she came across this i mean prince was very like uh you know uh, it was all about the ownership of his music so did he i don't know how that all worked sure how did he feel about her singing the song sure but i feel like listening to it now without a lot of that stuff and having appreciated prince's version for so long and it's like one of my favorite songs is that she has She's as kind of, again, kind of queer in her sentiment or like she's she breaks things open in terms of her sexuality in a way that, of course, he is the master of. Yeah. And so the two of them singing that I mean, it's his song, but her singing it is is kind of like an echo in a way of his sensibility and the way that her voice cuts through like she has a very cutting, clear Mm -hmm. voice when she wants to and. And there's also that lyric, time after time, yeah, which is this really interesting, you know, circle back to her own really big hit. Right. Um, and so it feels like there's they're in like a kind of echo with each other in a way. But I, I will say after this, you have to see her performing. It. I will. Those dance moves are <laughs> unusual. <laughs> yes, she's she's so unusual. <laughs> I want to revisit more of some of the cover songs on this album, but we will first take a break so we can listen from some of our other fine sibling Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. The Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Laurie Metcalf, Felicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Weeks, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, Alexander Torsani, Ross, Matt Gordy, and many more. Listen at MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. Hey, if you like your podcast to be focused and well-researched, and your podcast host to be uncharismatic, unhorny strangers who have no interest in horses, then this is not the podcast for you. Yeah, and what's your deal? (laughs) I'm Emily. I'm Lisa. Our show's called Baby Geniuses. And its hosts are horny adult idiots. We discover weird Wikipedia pages every episode. We discuss institutional misogyny. We ask each other the dumbest questions, and our listeners won't stop sending us pictures of their butts. We haven't asked them to stop, but they also aren't stopping. Join us on Baby Geniuses every other week on MaximumFun.org. We are back on Heat Rocks talking about Cindy Lauper's smash album, She's So Unusual, with Chani Nicholas. Before the break, we were just talking about the eclecticism and eccentricity of Cindy. And it dawned on me that in the midst of this conversation that partly because I think 
what we best remember from her are her pop hits off of this album. And while they're they're great songs in and of themselves, I'm sure we're going to talk more about them in the moments to come. I think it it in some ways obscures the deeper layers to the fact that she was. I think as all three of us have been talking about, she was at all of these different intersections in terms of musically, culturally, socially, that we I don't think she really gets sufficient credit for. And if we think of her as, oh yeah, she's the person who came up with Girls Just Gotta Have Fun, wasn't that a great 80s hit? Sure. It's only just the top layer of mm-hmm. all of this deeper well of of interesting things in which she was really at the center of in conversation with. And we were talking about the, the, the fact that she covered Prince. And it wasn't until I sat down and listened to this album as a, as a whole, which I had never done before, I didn't realize that half this album is cover songs. Mm. And as I mentioned in my intro, Cindy, before she got a recording contract, she had spent the 1970s working with different cover bands gigging throughout New York City. So it's not just as a gifted songwriter. I mean, she is an incredibly gifted songwriter. But she had a long career as an interpreter, and I mm. think that really comes through on this album. And we talked about Money Changes Everything earlier, but um, to me, you know, I didn't realize until recently that this wasn't her own song. I always thought it was such a great way to kick mm-hmm. off this album because it has this – it's almost like if Bruce Springsteen had done a gap year in Europe <laughs> and came back and learned all the synth pop, like you would get this version of Money sure, Changes Everything. sure, sure. <laughs> But this, of course, is not a Cindy Lauper song. I mean, she might have made it her own, but it was originally recorded as a fairly obscure 1978 B-side by the group The Brains. And I think the fact that there's so many covers on this album, it speaks to the ways in which Cindy was very much, again, at this intersection between different pop music movements, different communities. Mm. Um, and it's it's a dynamic that, that probably we don't think about her. We don't give her enough credit for that because what we remember, again, are like the big hits that, that either her or her producers penned, but not all of the, not the other half of the album sure. was her taking on other people's songs. Sure. Mm-hmm. And from this album, there were four four songs that were Billboard 100. I think she mm-hmm. at this at the time this dropped, she was top the five. top five. Yeah. She was the only female artist that had done that. Yeah. So covers or not, she was out here killing. And mm-hmm. I think I want to come back to some of the songs on the album, but I just want to say one thing is that you mentioned that she is a gifted songwriter, and I think people sleep on that, but I think also people sleep on that she could really like belt, mm-hmm. like she could like four octave range. Yo, mm-hmm. man! And I was looking at uh, We Are the World uh, mm-hmm. last night. And I was like, Cindy had that ill part here. <laughs> she did. Like, Cindy changed the course of the whole jam for a second. When, and, and she was saying, because I guess Quincy came and said she was annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quincy. <laughs> Quincy, like in that, in that same interview where he's talking about Michael Jackson and all that, Marlon right. Brando, he, he, he threw her under the bus. And, uh, and one of the things she said is she was like, you know, I get that. Because I guess she had on mm. some, like, like a gang of jewelry and it kept bumping against the mics Uh, and so she was sort of like my bad for that Uh, Grace 
Oh, is that? Oh, my earrings. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm loaded. No. But she also said that they told her to, when it got to that part, like, this is going to be you. And I think she was standing next to Kim Carnes. And they were like, you know, you know, make it your own. Yeah. And she did. And and she was a belter. So mm-hmm. we have to say that uh, Cindy Lauper is not only a, an amazing songwriter, but she can really, really sing. Mm-hmm. She can hit those highs. Mm-hmm. Stand together as one. Oh, oh, oh. Cindy, oh, But if you just believe, there's no way we can fall. Well, 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 oh, that a change can only come when we stand together as one. Oh, I hung over too much. No, no, Time After Time. Mm. Heretofore, I thought that Time After Time was my favorite uh, slow, sort of slow tempo, you know, song on here. And I love it, and it's gorgeous. I feel like it became, um, later on in years, it got used so much mm-hmm. and played so much that it, it got a little... Um, we'll play that. A, a, a little a, a little bit. Yeah, a, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. But at the time, I, I thought it was really a beautiful song. Yeah. How did you feel about it? Time after time. I was just, again, re-listening to it. And it's like this, the, the, again, it's like this quintessential like song about people growing apart. And yet there's nothing, there's no hostility in it. Sure. There's like, there's this thing where I've got to move on and you want me to slow down. And But there's this beautiful piece. And I, again, probably my eight-year-old self was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that like I'll always, I'm always here for sure. you, though. Like I'm not going to stay and I'm not going to. I'm not going to slow myself down for this, sure. but anytime you need me, I'm here. And I think like at those precipices in your life, when you know you've got to go and do something on your own, who doesn't want somebody to, it's to always be there for yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's if not, you, it's not something that I remember like loving so much. Sure. Um, it was a jam though, that I think everyone would sing and like people would sing to each other. And I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, I get it. If and you're, I, if you're lost, you can look and you will find me. Right. Okay. And I right. also was thinking, <laughs> okay, then <laughs> sure. And we're thinking the eighties, right? Yeah. And so we're thinking about a lot of people dying. Sure. And sure. losing a lot sure, of our sure. loved ones. And so if we're losing mass amounts of people, um, then, then there's that, that feeling of like being, being connected still to the folks that we love sure. even though they're not here with sure. us. You said go slow I fall behind The second hand unwind If you're lost you can look and you will find it I don't think I'm necessarily fully disagreeing but to me this is the song that has probably aged the best off mm-hmm. of this album and mm. maybe it's partly that a lot of the other songs have such intense new wave attributes yeah. that it, it fixes those songs in that particular era. And time after time is just stripped down maybe just enough mm-hmm. where it manages to feel a little bit more, no mm-hmm. pun, seriously, no pun intended, it feels more timeless <laughs> um, as a result of it. Um, and I think it really also just showcases, there's not, I'm trying to think of the rest of the, the, the track listing on here, but this is by far the most, I think, ballady of, of, of any of the songs. A lot of 
of the other tunes off of this album are more up tempo. Yeah, except except is, all through the night. Oh right, uh, all, That's through, right. all through the night. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, which is again another cover song. Right? Sure. But on this one, that ballad quality is instant classic, and I don't know if it was ever used in the key climactic scene in a John Hughes movie, but it feels but like it belongs it there. Like it be. uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it might have could have been at the end of Breakfast Club. It's straight, right. straight it, it might have could have been, yeah. Right, right. Like Molly Ringwald says goodbye to somebody in there, a few There years. it goes. <laughs> Somewhere I'm in the stratosphere. To, I'm starting to tear up already. <laughs> so, Chani, what is, what is the fire track off this album for you? I think it has to be Money Changes Everything for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a belting i think what you're saying I, I love the the connection that you made with the boss there's an anthem there for me that feels like there's a departure from what society tells you is supposed to be the best thing in the world and there's a searching for for oneself and what like what can we belong to so this is a woman she doesn't know it but she's on the brink of making it really big and the title track of the song is like, look, this is going to change everything and mm. it's not necessarily going to be good. And so I'm always searching um, as a writer and just as a person in the world for like what is meaningful in life. And when you I think it's maybe trite, but when you really realize like we're, we're like so much of us are like hustling for this thing that is not going to make us happy. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and feel like I wasted any of it trying to find happiness in a place mm-hmm. that it wasn't. And so it it kind of, it, it breaks something open for me like that. And also women talking about money is interesting to me, especially uh, a female artist and uh, somebody that's had a lot of money troubles. <laughs> She's coming into this with a lot of money troubles. I know it's a cover song, but yeah. um, what does it mean to her? I think she's made a ton of money also through sure. like kinky boots. right? Sure. So she's got this huge Broadway success. And I think what I loved, I, I remember when she went on tour with Cher, which was like back in the early aughts, I think. Um, I remember writing, reading an article about her and I hadn't heard about her for so long and she was such a big thing in my childhood and then she kind of like went away to me. And there was a kind of like shame around that almost like, you know, like your favorite artists as a kid or like teenager, you're growing up sure. and then they go away for like a decade and then they try to come back and you're like, oh God, I don't know. Is this okay? Right. Like, do you have anything? Please have something. <laughs> have something good. <laughs> please, please, please. Don't like crash my whole childhood. Um, and she was just to the reporter. She was like, look, I'm an artist. I've just been creating like sure. you can buy it or not. But like I am here as a creative person. And whether or not anybody is watching, that's what I do and that's who I am. Right. And I just remember like having such respect for that kind of point of view and just, again, her not letting anybody else define her just because she is or isn't on the charts. Um, and so that kind of ties back to the song again yeah. in and a way of just like... After selling 75 million albums, you right. wouldn't be able to tell me anything about myself either. I'd be right. like, where were you? I mean, right. this this album... Uh, uh, won a Grammy, I think, for Best New Artist. but mm. And I don't think they have this category anymore, but it was like mm. Best Album Art as well. Album Packaging. Uh, album Packaging. Yeah. So they don't have this no. anymore, do they? They don't have albums anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do they have? have only Beyonce they do would get for, that. No, they do. Do they? Yeah, yeah. But I, they huh. might have split it because I know there's one for, there's a Grammy for Best Liner Notes. Sure. And then Grammy for Best Art Direction. So mm. that might have been Ma- what maybe the package that... evolved towards. Sure. Yeah. Um, but to come back to Money Changes and Everything, I think is, I, was, I was briefly alluding to the fact that it's the first song on there. And there's something about the opening of the song itself, opening the album as a whole, 
it almost has, I don't know if cinematic is the right word, but it's a big, mm-hmm. it, it sounds huge. It mm-hmm. sounds massive. Mm-hmm. And automatically you just feel kind of draped in like what's coming with it. And I mm-hmm. think it's just a, a really amazing song to open the album with, um, especially as a cover. Because, you know, under other circumstances, maybe an artist would want to go with one of their own compositions mm-hmm. just to make their own statement. Sure. And Cindy's like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna take this B-side and I'm going to flip it on y'all. Yep. It's hard for me to pick a fire jam on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to uh, play um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun back in my mind because it just, it was, like I said at the beginning, it was such an anthem for mm. me and it was so fun. And mm. it, and Did you relate to it when it came out? I did. Yeah. I did. I thought it was cool. I thought she was cool. Yeah. Um, I thought she could access some things that I couldn't really access as right. a kid, you know, growing up churchy. Yeah. And, and, but, but, to me, she was so inclusive of all types. Mm-hmm. Um, I really bought the whole, she's working class, she's one mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. she represents us, she's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, her, the people, her, her friends seemed sort of quirky, so mm-hmm. she didn't seem too cool for school, mm-hmm. um, which wouldn't have bothered me. I was a popular kid, but mm-hmm. I was a popular kid with a conscience. Mm-hmm. I was uncomfortable about being popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like the privilege, Burden. but sometimes, but yeah, sometimes I got home, I was like, why did I get in that party and my friends didn't? Why me? Um, so it's tough out here. Uh, so that for me just got me so hyped mm-hmm. in a way that, um, she felt like, you know, a, one of us. Yeah. And later on, you know, reading more about her philanthropy and yeah. her, her standing for LGBTQ issues yeah. and also, um, special needs yeah. people. Um, then I thought, well, th- th- she, that wasn't just something she was selling. That's who mm-hmm. she was. And so girls just want to have fun always for me, gave me permission to party. But right. also permission to, to be myself and stand stand with myself and all my, my weirdness and quirkiness. So right. that for me is gonna have to be the fire jam. Yeah. Is it the best song on here? I don't know. Yeah. But for me it's that's yeah. the fire jam. Yeah. And if I could just say, I think one of the really fascinating things is that this when the She's So Unusual had a thirtieth anniversary re release they included a bunch of really forgettable remixes, but they also included <laughs> not one but two different demo versions of this song. So you actually get to hear the evolution of the song musically. Mm. Come home in the morning light. My mother says, Mm. when you gonna live your life? Then I give another fortunate one. Girls, they gotta have fun. Oh, girls just wanna have fun. Wow. So post-punk. Yeah. Right? I mean, That's like Pat Benatar's <laughs> right. version of... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like X. I mean, there's so the many groups. Yeah. 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 And then the song gradually begins to evolve. And the other demo version that's on this 30th anniversary re-release, you can now hear that someone came up with that really signature infectious guitar riff. Mm. And it begins to flesh the song out towards the final form that we know it in. Mm. And I just love having this window into how 
this we always think that songs just arrive to us fully formed right, right. because that's the only version that we sure. really get to hear right. and just to hear the evolution of the song and how it got there is to me such a gift because you know you get to see the creative process and in, in not quite real time because it's you know 30 plus years in in, in the past now but just the fact that it went through such dramatic mm. iterations, I think, is is wonderful just to be able to hear that. Mm-hmm. And how she was able to change the tone of, of the song Absolutely. just by changing octaves. Yes. Um, that right. her voice can do both things. That, right. you know, it was really punk in the first version. And, and the second version is happy, right. up, upper range, um, Cindy Lauper. So, yeah. indeed. With a little drum machine. A little- in the <laughs> Always. <laughs> is that what I need to be great? Do I need a drum machine? <laughs> My God. I always, I also like in that video. I just have to say, like, like the clip of um, King Kong. Is it <laughs> yeah. when he's like, she's like, some boys take a beautiful girl and hide her away for the rest of the world, and I just want to be the one who walks in the sun. It's such a beautiful moment. It I'm is. Like, That's bullshit, and I just want to like be free. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like exactly. to walk around in the light of day. Is there a song off of here that if someone, and I can't imagine who this would be, but mm. someone who's never heard of Cindy Lauper before and you had to pick a song off of here to be the representative, like here's your introduction to Cindy Lauper, what would you choose? I, guess, I mean, it's an unoriginal, but I guess it would have to be Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For all the reasons that we've... we've For all the reasons, yeah. 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 The, cel- the celebratoryness of it and the kind of underpinning of like, Fuck you. We want to, we're right. allowed to have fun and we're right. allowed to be, we're allowed to exist and we're allowed to party in the streets. Sort of makes me think that her in this song is she's sort of like the a prototype of the manic pixie, but not the girlfriend part of it, right? Because right. the whole thing about being a manic pixie is it's really for the benefit of the man. So sure. this is her being manic, being kind of pixie-ish, but really for again, as as you've been pointing out, Johnny, for her own pleasure, right? And for yeah. her own identity, and just yeah, that sheer exuberance that you see, you hear in the song, you see in the video, you know, even if it, as I was alluding to earlier. The song is such a hit. It's so iconic that it does at times threaten to, I think, overshadow other elements and other dynamics and dimensions to her on this album in, in general. But, I, I mean, what what a perfect encapsulation of what it is that she came into 83 and just, mm-hmm. like, blowing up that year and that mm-hmm. era with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This album is now 30-plus years old. Mm-hmm. Listening to it now, do you think of it as being, was it right on time? Was it ahead ahead of its time, or is it timeless? You know, I think it's right on time. I think I when I went back and listened to it, I was like, oh, a lot of these are really dated. It's very new wave. Yeah. But that, to me, again, it like circles back into my pre preteen, preteen, and then teenagehood, and mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of all the other bands that I loved, like The Cure and so on. Sure. And there's just like these, and then Prince, and then there's all these echoes of that time, which felt really new obviously and there was some there was there was a breakaway from the the rock of the 70s of disco era there was so this was like a sound that that was was bringing us into a new space and a new sphere with the with mtv with videos with all of that and yeah so right on time 
We ask this question of all of our guests. If you had to describe this album in three words, what would they be? Well, pleasure. Mm. There's like a there's a howling mm. that I feel from mm. her. Mm. There's something that is real and raw and it's howling and it again it there's it breaks something. It cuts through something. So it, it I feel her. Like I feel mm-hmm. the sentiment. I feel a sentiment that I'm assuming she's wanting me to receive. Yeah. That there's something there's so there's a maybe I would use the word unrestrained, some mm-hmm. pleasure, unrestrained, and I want to say creative chaos. That's two words. We'll but take it. Chaos. Yeah, we'll take chaos. it. Chaos. We'll put a hyphen in there. Yeah. Just <laughs> Three and a bonus single. You know. <laughs> That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Channy Nicholas. Where can people find you out there? Um, on my website, ChannyNicholas.com. And on the socials? On the socials, same thing. C-H-A-N-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-A. This nice thing of having a somewhat unique name is you can just claim all those. You don't, oh. <laughs> you don't have to be Channy Nicholas like 1817. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one can remember it or spell it or pronounce right. it, but it's, yeah, it's, I'm it. I, I, I urge you strongly to uh, to get into what she's doing. Her uh, her readings are are so revelatory. A couple of weeks ago, um, she did a reading, and I was I, I was about to change my passcode because I felt like she'd been reading my text. <laughs> I was like, this is too on point. I don't know what type of access to me she has, but uh, but yes, she is uh, uh, changing the game in terms of uh, astrology and our interpretation of it. So really, do get into everything that she's doing. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me. Oliver Wang and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. And before we get out of here, one last thing. It's a teaser for next week's episode, which features rapper and Max Fun podcaster Open Mike Eagle talking about Old Dirty Bastards' debut solo album, Return to the 36 Chambers. Woo-woo! The video for Shimmy Shimmy Ya mm, mm-hmm. was the first thing I saw. Mm, hell of an introduction. Yeah, yeah. He, he like, the, the, the image that I remember most in this moment is the part where they were doing the Soul Train line, and he was like doing kung fu moves down yeah. the Soul Train line, and then he like broke the board with his finger, and I was like, "This is this is content that speaks to me," you know. <laughs> um, sure. And and so, kind of getting caught in the orbit of his personality and what he was putting out there, the, the, the that level of goofiness uh, made me want to do a deep dive into him, and then through him, I ended up hearing about the rest of it. I actually got back into hip-hop based on this album. That's why I picked it. Yeah, yeah. it was based on this. Yeah. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.